I'm here in the summer this time. Last time I was here in the middle of the winter in February. I'm like, oh, now I remember why I don't want to be in Iowa in the winter. First winter we were in Germany, the winter got over and we were like, hey, wow, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> it hangs out around 30, 35 degrees the whole winter and it's like, yeah, none of this below zero stuff from Iowa. Oh, but man, it's good to be back in our home state. It's good to be here again uh, in Jefferson. It's always a great time to be here to be able to share with you guys and to be able to pour back into your lives. And as since we went to Germany, that's always been part of what's been on our hearts is not just to, to come to churches and uh, tell them where we are and what we're doing and to beg for money, but uh, to come back and and to really pour back into your lives as a result uh, or as a reward for you sowing into our lives so faithfully. And uh, as Pastor mentioned, we've been in Germany almost 10 years now, and uh, we know we can't be there doing what we're doing without uh, people like yourselves, without churches like this who are standing with us, praying for us, and and giving. And so we just want to share a little bit with you guys this morning about what you've been up to in Germany and, and how that looks and help you understand what you've been doing through your giving and through your prayers. We know that we can't do everything we're doing through our own prayers. There's no way possible. We'd have to be praying 36 hours a day. And there's not 36 hours in a day, and we like to sleep and eat and do other things too. So uh, we know that we're carried by the prayers of other people. And so we want to thank you if you guys have been praying for us, whether it's on a weekly or monthly basis or once in a while as a church has a focus on our ministry or whatever. Thank you for that. Uh, you guys are having a very real impact on our lives, our families' lives, on our ministry and and in Europe because of that. And that's what we want to share with you a little bit this morning. And uh, one thing I want to say before I start talking about us is I'm always so impressed. I always uh, come here to Jefferson. I always think, you know what? I remember they have a really good worship team and I always enjoy the worship there. And then every time I'm here and I'm always just amazed, it's always, I'm always surprised at how good the worship is. And uh, as somebody who's been a worship leader for over 20 years myself, uh, just want to say a big fat congratulations to and good job to the worship team here you guys do a fantastic job musically spiritually also to the people in the back who nobody ever looks at the sound people the presentation people uh the mix was great this morning the songs were great this morning the uh the flow of and the anointing was great and it was just fantastic you guys do an exemplary job so well done i'm always so impressed but this morning um there's a slide up here i think behind me yep and uh, i want to break one of the cardinal rules of uh church which is i'm going to tell you to get out your smartphone and open your facebook app uh during church so go ahead and do that and uh when you get Facebook open, then you can search for Pure Flow Ministries and go ahead and just open it and like our page. Why? Because that way, when we post stuff on our Pure Flow Ministries page and talk about where we're at, what we're doing, what Bible school we're teaching at, etc., then that will pop up in your feed and you'll see what's going on as a result of your support of our ministry. Uh, if you have Twitter, you, there are Twitter handles there, at Men. You can do that as well. And then things will pop up there and you can just stay connected. And the whole point is that we can stay connected and we can be better friends than we already are and uh, that you can know what we're doing and, and you can even, you know, hit us up, say, hey, great to hear what you guys are doing in Germany. We're praying for you guys or whatever you want to say. Hey, what's the name of this, that town where you just were or, you know, where is that or whatever? And we can stay in contact with one another so uh, you can do that and if you would you guys can go ahead and go to the next slide there and what this uh, they're kind of popping through them 
There we go. First one's first. Um, this is a picture of us on a Sunday at our church, this is the, at the church that we, we pastor and all that thing. Um, and we had a Sunday, and we do this once or twice a year, where we encourage everybody to wear their traditional Bavarian outfits. And uh, so one of the guys came up to me, and he said, Sean, do you have any lederhosen? And I said, no. And he handed me a bag, and he says, well, you do now. And that's like, oh, thank you. Then he proceeded to shove me in the direction of the bathrooms so that I had to put them on immediately. So there, now you see me in later hosen and you can't unsee it. So it will be etched in your brain forever. So anyway, Kirsten looks a lot cuter in her dirndl than I look in my later hosen, but that's okay. All right, you can go to the next one. Um, it's kind of com complicated sometimes to communicate what we do. And so I thought a map would probably be the best way to do this. The little hard house there is obviously where we live in Engelsburg, Germany. And 10 years ago, we originally went there to serve in a church in Trossberg, which is this line down here in the bottom, bottom right in the southeast corner here, uh, to be the youth and worship pastors of that church. Well, our church has grown and, and now has four campuses. And that's what these green lines are, is all the campuses of our church. And when God uh, gave us that home to live in, I think he kind of did that strategically because we're right in the middle of the action. So that's good. Um, and we pastor this campus up here in Altötting. Everybody say Altötting. That's okay. It's, you're not being graded. Just just wanted to try. Uh, then our other campus in Nudeldorf, which is not from Lord of the Rings, even though it sounds like it. Uh, and then Ering is the fourth campus. And so we're responsible still for all the worship and for all the, the youth ministry on those four campuses. And we we lead the campus in all things. So that's kind of what you are up to on a kind of day-to-day -day basis is overseeing those things and ministering in those churches. And then the red line there is for the Bible school campus. When we first moved to Germany, we had a Bible school campus there locally in Trostburg. Trostburg's a city of about 12,000 people. And after several rotations, we come to realize uh, country people will drive to the city, but city people will not drive to the country. And so what we did then was we moved the Bible school campus to Munich and immediately went from 20 people per year to 60. And so the campus has grown and now we're on, I think, our third rotation in Munich because it takes two years to go through that. So that kind of gives you an idea, kind of our local area, kind of day-to-day uh, life, uh, where we're at and what's going on. Then you can go to the next slide if you would. And this gives you an idea of just the places we've been able to touch in Europe, so the places that you've been able to touch in Europe. Again, this is uh, where we live in southeast Germany. Germany starts up there and kind of goes all the way around here. Then we have Austria, Switzerland. Um, through our youth ministry efforts, through Bible schools, we're able to minister in Austria, Switzerland. The Netherlands as well also have been in Romania with the youth. We were just in uh, Greece teaching a church planting seminar there for people from, I think, seven or eight different countries were there in Greece to be trained in church planting. So this just gives you an idea. We, we tend to get around a little bit. You tend to get around a little bit uh, in Western Europe. And so you're able to touch lives and raise up labors all over. Isn't that cool? So you can go to the next slide if you would. Uh, this is me just teaching at the campus in Munich. You can go to the next one. Uh, this is me with a group of our teens at our Trostburg campus. Let's see what German teens look like. You can go to the next one. 
Uh, this is actually last year on Easter, our youth did a human video um, to Lifehouse's song, Everything. And so actually our youngest daughter, Marissa, there on her knees on the ground. And uh, it was a cool story because what happened on this Sunday was that the campus pastor there at that campus had invited his family to come because his daughter was also uh, in this play. And his brother actually came to church that day, who doesn't usually go to church, and actually gave his life to Jesus because he was so moved by this drama. So we praise God for what God's doing through our youth. You can go ahead and, and go to the next one. Uh, it's just a picture of uh, us leading worship at our Trosper campus, just kind of give you an idea of what that looks like. And go to the next one. And this is actually a really cool story. This guy waving at you. You can wave back if you want. Uh, his name is Sebastian. And uh, last October, he became our pastoral trainee or our apprentice at the at the campus that we we lead and those are his two sons uh samuel and aaron and his wife maria and they also have another daughter claudia and she's not in the picture uh, but anyway so since last october we've been training them and teaching them how to pastor he's currently going through the bible school in austria and be finishing next year and so the plan is at the end of then this current year when we get to December, then they'll be finished with their training process and they'll be able to take over and lead a campus themselves, which is awesome. So in addition to Sebastian, we also have at our other campuses, we've been um, having people apply to become apprentices as well. And so I'm basically the person who's in charge of training these new apprentices to learn the pastoral ministry. And then they go to their campus and they serve under their pastor there and learn the ministry. And then after that year long process, then they'll be ready to lead a campus themselves because the, the goal is then that we continue that each campus then plants further campuses and the church continues to grow and, and reach more people. In Germany, only about 3% of the population are Bible believing Christians. It's about 10 times less than here in the US. So for that reason, there's a, a dire need in Germany for more churches, more life-giving churches. And so our goal is that in every town with over 10,000 people in the southeastern corner of Bavaria that we want to have a, a church planted there. So that's what you are doing in Germany. And God's doing some pretty cool things. So you can go ahead and, and turn that off. And like I said, our heart is to really pour into you guys and that God can reward you through our ministry for what you've sown into our ministry. And so since I'm a teacher, that's what I like to do, and that's what God's gifted and anointed me to do, then that's what we want to do this morning is be able to teach, be able to share some things from the Word of God with you this morning. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we will start there. You know, Proverbs 27 says this, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we really feel like through our relationship with you guys, you've been able to sharpen us, and this morning we're here to provide sharpening as well. Encourage you in the Lord, and we just want to say thank you to you guys for your faithfulness. Just your faithfulness just in being part of this church. Sometimes in this day and age with, you know, the Facebook generation, social media, everybody's living their highlights and presenting their best selves to everyone. And you can get to the point where faithfulness is not really viewed or, or admired or honored. And it's all about highlights and the big things that happen. And we just want to encourage you guys, God rewards faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. And sometimes we think, yeah, well, I'm still, you know, doing what I'm doing and I'm just still doing what I'm doing. And you know what? If that's what God has you doing, then you're doing the right thing. Amen. And it's to be honored that you're sticking with it. 
it's easy to give up. It's easy to flake out. It's easy to go do something else. It's easy just to quit being consistent. It's easy just to, eh, I'm not quit giving my tithe. I'm not going to you know, pray anymore. And I'm not going to do this and that. It's, I don't know. It's just, I've been doing it for years. Yeah, you have been because it's a good thing. So keep doing it. Amen. And uh, we really want to encourage your hearts this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, if you found it. I want to start in verse 14, and this is a uh, verse of scripture that Paul is praying for the church there. And you really see his heart, and you see the Lord's heart in what he prays, and so we want to look at this this morning. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, can you say rooted and grounded? Very good. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think it's pretty interesting there at the end. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is written in the Bible, so we can take that as being true, that if he says we're able to be filled or that it's possible that we can be filled with all the fullness of God, that sounds pretty good. That's a lot of stuff. You can be filled with all the fullness of God. And this morning, I want you to recognize there's a lot more possible and there's a lot more that God has prepared for you than what you've already received. And this morning, I want to help you be strengthened to receive that. Here he's praying for them that God would strengthen you with might through his spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, the end result of which is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, that you can be filled with everything God wants to fill you with. And that's not just something that he just threw in here because it sounds good. It's in here because it's possible. It's possible for you to be filled up with everything that God wants to give you. It's possible for you to receive everything that God wants to give you. Let's let that sink in for a minute. It's possible. But obviously, he's been praying things that need to happen in order for us to get to that point. In order for us to come to the point where we've received the fullness of what he wants to give us, or we're living in the fullness every day something has to happen and he prayed for them and i want you to notice what he said in verse 14 uh, 17 he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend and it goes on and so he talks about the fact that it's critical for you you and i to be rooted and grounded in love and so that's what i want to talk about this morning i want to strengthen your roots and we know where we are today. We're in Jefferson, Iowa. All right, we're in an agricultural state. And so hopefully all of us have, uh, you know, been through biology class in school or we may even live on a farm. And so we understand what roots are. And some of you guys may understand way better than I do as, you know, a kid who grew up mostly in Dubuque and didn't really have much farm experience. Um, you want to hear a funny story, though? We visited my uncle one time on his pig farm. And my brother was really little, like three. And um, they had just, as there's on most farms, they always have litters of kittens. And uh, so my brother and my cousin, who's basically like my brother's twin, they wanted to bathe the kittens. But all they could find was the 50-gallon drum with the used tractor oil in it. <laughs> so they were, boom, kitties, clean. 
<laughs> Didn't turn out too well for the kitties, but anyway. My farm experience is not very extensive. That's almost it. But anyway, hopefully we understand that the roots of the plant are the bottom part of the plant. That's hopefully good for us to understand. And the roots are the part that are actually in contact with the soil, that go down deep into the soil. And the roots draw the water and the nutrients that nourish the plant, and they hold the plant up and in place. They provide nourishment and stability. And we know that if the roots of a plant have a problem, the whole plant has a problem. And so what Paul is praying here for them is that they be rooted and grounded in love because he recognizes that they need strong roots if they're going to have strong lives. In other words, if they're going to be filled with all the fullness of God, that's going to come through their roots. The life is going to come through the roots. And so we recognize too, if you're going to kill weeds, you know, anybody who's ever pulled dandelions knows, you can't just rip off the top. If you're going to kill something, you've got to kill the roots. And so the enemy knows just as well that he has to attack your roots if he's going to take you out. Which is why Paul is praying that they be rooted and grounded in love, that they may be able to comprehend the, basically the greatness of God's love for them. And that's really what, where we're rooted. Our roots go down deep into the love of God. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, for us to live in faith, that faith first and foremost has to be a confidence in the fact that God loves me. And if I can't say God loves me, if I'm not convinced of that, if I don't believe that God loves me, then I've got a problem with my roots. Which means my whole life as a human being and as a believer, is in trouble. And every human being was created to have a relationship with God. So any person in this world who does not know that God loves them, who, who does not have a faith in Christ, whose faith in Christ is not rooted in a confidence in the fact that God loves them, then they have a problem. And we've probably all seen plants that have been pulled out of the soil. You know, if you've been weeding your garden, maybe you go through and you, you rip them out, you rip them out, and they're laying there in the dirt. And when you pull them out of the dirt, they look okay. They still look strong. But you come back an hour later, or if you leave, leave them laying there and you go do something else and you come back the next day, they don't look so good. They've wilted. It happens fast. And so the enemy knows that if he can get to our roots... We don't have a chance. That's why so many people have a hard time believing that God loves them. Because it's easy to say God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It's a lot harder to look at yourself in the mirror and say, God loves me. Why is that? Well, because we have help. You know, we have a constant stream of media. We have an education that tells us that we're an accident. We just kind of showed up here. We have other people who tell us about our, our faults and our failures and why we're not good enough and they're and, and critical. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we know what we've done. We know what we think. We know our motives sometimes. We know our attitudes. And so we think to ourselves, why would God love me? 
But that thought has a root, and that comes from the enemy. And the thing is, this is not anything new. This is something that has been going on since the very beginning. And that's what I want to look at this morning, is what really happened at the beginning when the enemy began to relate to humans and what he began to talk to us about because he's still doing the same thing he's always done. He's not very creative. So he's, what he did is what he's still doing. And so if we recognize what he did and how he began to attack the roots of, of the faith of the first people, then we'll recognize, aha, uh -huh, that's still how he talks to me. So I want you to look with me at Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it, go past the table of contents, go past the page where it says Holy Bible, go past the list of, of books, go to Genesis 1, then flip maybe a page or two further. You come to Genesis 3, and we're going to start with verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And I think it's interesting what she said, because God had not told them not to touch it. We have no record of God saying, Don't touch the tree. God said, Don't eat it. And it's interesting how sometimes we twist God's commandments. We make them sound worse than they really are. And she was already beginning to kind of work with the enemy here in, in making more of God's command than, than he'd said. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. I want you to go back with me a little bit and think about what's actually going on here. Because God had just made the whole entire earth and he had put Adam and Eve in this garden in paradise. So here you have a man and a woman naked in paradise and they have one rule. One. Don't eat from that tree. Otherwise, go for it. You got the whole earth, fill it, subdue it, enjoy it, go. One rule, don't eat from that tree. Now, if you've ever looked around, you know, you see there's a lot of different kinds of fruit. There's a lot of different kinds of trees. You know, we could go around the room and some would say peach and pear and apple and cherry and kumquat and whatever else. And you go through the whole list. There's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fruit trees. And then God just said, hey, with this one, don't eat it. And people ask, well, why did he even make that tree if it was bad? God never said the tree was bad. He just said, don't eat from it. He created us as beings with a free will, which means he had to give us an opportunity to make at least one choice to love him. God made us with a free will so that we could love him freely. He didn't want robots to just say, love you, God, love you, God. And so he had to make something so that we could just say no to one thing, to love him. One thing. So he chose that tree. They said, hey, don't eat from that tree. Why not? Well, just don't do it. He gave us one opportunity to love him, and we chose to love ourselves. Ouch. Doesn't make us look very good. <laughs> so again, 
The enemy focuses their attention on this one tree. And I want you to see what he's really saying to them. Because he says at the beginning of verse 5, for God knows. In other words, God knows something that he doesn't want you to know. In other words, God has something that he's holding back from you, something that God's not sharing with you. God is selfish. In other words, what he's saying is, you know, you think God's all good, but he doesn't really love you. And it's the same thing he's doing today. He's whispering in your ear, God's holding back from you. He doesn't really love you. But I want you to see what he's offering them because if we recognize how the enemy talks and how he works, then it will help us to recognize how he's talking and working with us so that we can reject it. And the thing is, he says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. In other words, he's saying God doesn't want you to be like him. God's afraid of you coming up to his level, which is a total crock because when God created man, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In other words, you can't be more like God than we are. In other words, he's telling them you can have something that they already had. And so the enemy comes and he's trying to offer us something that already belongs to us. What do you mean be like God? I am like God. Moron, get out of here is what she should have said. But she was deceived. And so often we get deceived into pursuing things that we already have. And so often the enemy tries to get us, even as well-meaning believers, to try to pursue being loved by God instead of just recognizing we are. But you know what happens when you start chasing something that you already own? You never get it. Because you never can get it, you already have it. And so they began this journey of pursuing something they couldn't have. And what essentially happens is you burn yourself out trying to get something that already belongs to you. And so many people in this world are burnt out pursuing things that God has already promised them, already wants to give them. So many believers are wearing themselves out, working hard to try to earn the love of God that they already have. And the second thing he offered them, he says you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And this one I think is even more hilarious because, again, just think about this logically. God made light, and he said it was, that's right, it was good. Okay, then he made plants, and they were, okay, then he made animals and said it was, you know, he made fish and, and birds, and he said it was, okay, then he made man, and it was, ah, a couple people got it, that's right. After he made, made us, he said it was very good. So, again, let's go back. We're at the very beginning here. God's made everything good. So Eve's standing here in a garden having this conversation with the enemy in the form of a snake, and her husband is standing there just not talking, which guys don't say too much, and I kind of get that, but he should have. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. We won't go there. But just think for a minute. I'm talking with this serpent, and he tells me if I'll eat this fruit that I'm not supposed to eat, then I will know good and evil. Okay, let's think about this logically. Up to now, everything I have known and experienced, tasted, seen, smelled, 
felt has been good. Okay. I already know good. So, in essence, what you're offering me is the opportunity to experience evil. Let me think about this. Everything in my life is good. Do I want to do something that's going to cause me to experience evil? Nah, I'm good. I'm just going to leave it alone. I don't want what you're offering. That's the same thing the enemy does to us. He tries to get us to doubt the love of God for us by thinking that we can have something better than what God has already promised us, which doesn't exist. And he confuses us to the point where he sells us something we don't even want. So we can, he's offering us something we already have, and he's offering us something we don't even want. But the root of the whole thing is him selling us on that one fact, God is holding out on you, God does not love you. God's will is not the best thing for your life. And if you buy that thought, whether you're 6, you're 16, 26, or 66, it doesn't matter. The enemy's going to tell you, God doesn't love you. And when you believe God doesn't love me and God's plan for my life is not the best thing for me, that is what gives sin its attraction. Because you think you can have something better by not following God than you can by following him. But it's illogical. And that's why I said this morning I want to strengthen your roots. Because we know that a strong plant is more resistant to disease, more resistant to pests. And we know that if you have a strong faith in the love of God for you, you're convinced God loves me so much Sin has no attraction. Because you know it's just a, a counterfeit. It's just, it's a waste. It's the worst thing I could do. It's the worst decision I could make. God loves you. And see, Paul said, I pray that you be rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend the width and length and breadth and depth, the, to know the full greatness and expanse, the multiple dimensions of God's love. In other words, you're, it's, it's possible for us to be able to comprehend his love, but not in the way that we can like understand it. Because with your brain, you're not going to comprehend the love of God. But he goes on, he says that you may know the love of Christ. And so what he's talking about is actually experiencing the love of God. And the way that I understand it is this way, that Paul is really desiring or praying that we would be able to embrace God's great love for us. Not resist it, but embrace it. And the picture that I get in my head, you ever seen Jungle Book? You know, Mowgli was this little, you know, native dude, and he loved Baloo, so he's trying to hug him, but Baloo is so fat he couldn't get his arms around him. That's us with the love of God. It's too big for us to get our, our brains around it, but we need to embrace it and experience it and receive it for ourselves. And that's what God's desire is for you is that you'll embrace his love for you. Embrace it. That you'll be able to say, God, you love me. Wow, thank you. 
Thank you, God, for everything you planned for me, and that through that, that confidence in his love that we receive everything he wants to give us. Because again, our roots that go down into that soil are going down into the love of God. So everything you're going to receive through faith, you're going to receive through that confidence of knowing God loves me. And if you don't believe God loves you, then your faith won't work. Because where else are you going to receive it from if you're not going to receive it th from God who loves you? It's funny, this morning I had I'd taken a dime out of the pocket of my pants and I'd put it on the table and I had basically given it to Kirsten. I just left it there so she could put it in her purse or whatever so I didn't have it in my pocket. And uh, she picks it up and she goes, oh, I took your dime. And I said to her, I said, well, I'd already given it to you so you didn't really take it, you received it. And I thought, wow, that'll preach. Because if somebody's already given you something, it's not taking. It's just receiving. And that's what faith does. Faith receives. You know, and so often we get this, this vision in our head that we're trying to get God to give us something he doesn't want to give us anyway. We're trying to convince him. We're trying to force him to do something he doesn't want to do. We're trying to take something from God while he's not looking. But the truth is, Faith is just reaching out and receiving what God has already given. We don't have to convince him to give. That's why it's so important that you recognize God loves you. God loves me. Oh, so I don't have to convince him of anything. I don't have to convince him to like me. No, he likes you already. And when you recognize he loves me, he likes me, he's already provided all this stuff for me to, to, me to have that he, can, he wants to fill me with all of his fullness. Oh, well, then it's just a matter of, okay, well, I'll receive it then. I'll embrace his great love for me. I'll take it from myself. I'll say, okay, God, here, I'm going to try to wrap my arms around your love. I'm going to receive it from myself. Amen? And it's interesting why Paul prayed that and why he was so passionate about them being rooted and grounded in love, but them being able to embrace God's great love for them. Because if you go back in the section before that, in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, Paul wrote, To me, who am least, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then he continues. But I want you to notice just the first two words he says, to me. In other words, Paul had such a passion for other people to comprehend and embrace the love of God because for Paul, the love of God was personal. He said to me. He said, God's love has worked something in my heart. God's love has impacted my life. For this reason, that's how that prayer starts. Remember in verse 14? He says, for this reason, because God has done something personal in my life. I want you to have it. And for us as Christians, like I said, if you're going to be a strong plant, you're going to have to have strong roots. And if you're going to be effective in the life that God has created you to live, and if you're going to be fruitful and, and share the love of Christ with others, the first thing that has to happen is it has to become personal to you. You have to embrace God's love for you, not just God's love for your neighbor, not God's love for your pastor or God's love, you know, for, for the children of the church, but you have to embrace God's personal, intense love for you. 
that God is committed to you, that God sent Jesus and he gave his life for you, if for nobody else, for you, you were enough. Remember hearing a song several years ago, it said, when the price of something is determined by what someone would pay, it's nice to know I'm worth one Jesus to you. So if you ask yourself what value you have in this world, God says your worth is Jesus. That's how much you're worth. That's how much you're worth. So anybody else tells you you're worthless, tells you you're ugly, tells you you're fat, tells you you're too tall, too short, too skinny, too whatever, God says I'm worth Jesus. That's what I'm worth. Period. That settles it. But we have to go a step further and we have to choose to embrace it. We have to be convinced. We have to let our hearts be convinced that God really does love me that much. I really am worth that much to God. God really is serious about his relationship with me. Amen? In Scripture, in Mark chapter 3, something that just keeps coming back to me over and over again. Why don't we go ahead and look at that together? Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Actually, verse 13 is where we want to start. This is where Jesus calls his, his, his disciples. I want you to see what he did. It says that he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he himself wanted. And if you're sitting here this morning, the reason that you're here is because it's God's will for your life. The reason that you know Jesus is because God chose you. The reason that you exist is because God wants you. And it goes on, it says, and they, it says they came to him, verse 14, then he appointed 12. I want you to see why he appointed them or what he appointed them to do. Number one, that they might be with him. And then it goes on. And it says and that he might send them out to preach, et cetera, et cetera. But the first call of any believer is to be with him. And so often we're so focused on what we do for God that we forget that our first calling is just to be with God. That the greatest reward of knowing Christ is knowing Christ. And Jesus has called you to himself to know him, to be with him, to do life with him because he wants you. And you can know him and walk with him. And I want you to look with me in, in Colossians chapter 1. This is another prayer that Paul prayed. I want to encourage you to highlight or underline things, these or mark them and really begin to begin to pray these prayers for yourself. Pray this prayer in Ephesians. Pray this prayer in Colossians for yourself. Because here's the deal. We recognize the scriptures weren't written just because some person wanted to write something. The scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, which means these prayers are in the scriptures not because Paul prayed them, but because 
they reflect the heart of God. So it's not just Paul's desire that you be filled with the fullness of God, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you embrace God's great love for you. That's the heartbeat of God. God's heartbeat is that you would recognize how much he loves you and that you would begin to receive all the things he's provided for you, that you're confident in the fact God loves me. And Paul prayed this in Colossians 1. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. In other words, they just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. They recognize this is so crucial. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and also wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. What? Did you hear what we just read? that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now, every time I get to reading this and actually thinking about it, my head just kind of explodes. What he is saying, and again, this is God saying this, not just Paul on a whim. What he is saying is that here on this planet, in this life, it is possible for you and I to live a life that our lifestyle reflects the greatness of God, that we live a life that's worthy of the Lord. In other words, we are living a life that gives honor to the sacrifice of Christ. Everything he did for us, we're living out of that. And he's going, man, awesome. That's exactly why I came and why I died and why I gave you a new life and why I put my spirit in you and why I made these things available. You're living it. That's awesome. Good job. And so many people think, well, I'm just going to live my life in this world and, and hopefully I do something that's good and then I'm going to go to heaven and God's going to go, huh, you should have done better. And then, well, okay, then we get to live forever and that's a good thing. That's religious thinking. It's a dead plant with no roots that's propped up. But God's desire for you is to have strong roots, to be convinced of his love for you. And he says you can walk worthy of the Lord. And then the next phrase is even worse. Fully pleasing him. Pleasing. Present tense. In other words, it is possible for people, you and me, living, breathing on the planet Earth in the current time, to live a life that fully pleases God fully why because God is good and he loves us no father would intentionally put his children in a situation where they couldn't do what he wanted them to do you know as fathers we challenge our kids and we challenge them to do things that are too hard for them and our kids may fail at that or they may may, may not do it as well as somebody else can but that's still success because we didn't want them to do it perfect. We wanted them to try. We wanted them to grow. We wanted them to learn. And we need to recognize that's God's heart for us. God's heart for us is that we try, that we grow, that we learn, that we, that we come further, that we experience more of his love for us, that we're able to communicate more of his love for us to the world. His goal for you is not to be perfect. His goal for you is to be holy. And holiness means you're loving God with everything, which means you're giving it your all. It doesn't mean the results are perfect. And God created us to be able to please him. God created you to be able to please him fully, and you can. Isn't that cool? And that's why he said at the beginning of this prayer, he prayed for them that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, what does it mean to be full of something? Being filled means there's not room for anything else. You know, if a glass is half full, it's not full. Why? There's room for more water. If it's three-quarters full, is it full? 
No. Why? Because there's still room for more water. You know, seven-eighths, nine-tenths, it's not full. The only way to know if it's full is if you put one more drop of water in and it overflows, then it's full because there's no room for anything else. That means what, what he's praying for us here is that we would be so filled, we'd be so confident of what God wants us to do that there'd be no room for any doubt. That I know exactly what God wants me to do like I know my own name. There's no doubt in my mind. I know exactly what I should be doing right now. I know exactly how I should be living today. I know exactly how to love God. I know exactly how I need to love my neighbors. I know exactly why God created me and where I should be and what I should be doing and with whom I should be doing it. I know all that, and that's God's desire for you. You can know and do the entire will of God for your life. You can. And that's a, a new thought for most people. You can Know and do the entire will of God for your life because God is good and he loves you. Amen? Why don't you say that with me one time? I can know and do the entire will of God for my life. Go ahead and say it. I can know and do the entire will of God for my life. That means we can get to the end of our lives, step over into eternity, stand before God, and God goes, man, that was cool. Watching you live, oh, you, that was awesome. Great job. I was killer. Not, oh, you. Well, you know, Brother Hagen and Oral Roberts and Billy Graham, they did pretty good. And you, where did you live again? You know, what's your name? And that's how people think that God sees them, but God is 100% invested in you. God is not a man. He's not limited by time. That means you have all of his attention all the time. And God is constantly desiring to help you understand what his will is for your life, why you're on this earth, so that you can live that out. So that he can enjoy having that relationship with you and so that you can do and be everything you're created to do and be. We don't have to live our lives under the shadow of God's disappointed. And it's just kind of going to be that way. He doesn't like me that much, so yeah. That's the work of the enemy. And that cloud of disappointment and that cloud of doubt about the love of God is what I'm trying to kill this morning. That you would recognize you can know and do the entire will of God for your life, wake up every morning, the smile on your face, peace in your heart, and purpose. Amen? So really, I would break this down into three main parts, and I mentioned the first one already. You can have a personal relationship with God. You can know him. You can get to know him. Paul said in Philippians chapter three, he said, everything else that I had accomplished, everything else I've gained, I've thrown that all away for the sake of knowing Christ. And this was after he'd been ministering a while. I mean, this is years after his conversion. And he'd accomplished a lot. And he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he said his one goal was not to write books, not to plant churches. His primary goal was to know Christ. And God wants to help us understand how we can know him and walk with him. How we can hear his voice. How we can respond to him and do his will. Amen? You know, I want you to say this with me. Say, I can know Christ. You can. And then the second part of this is what I would call doing what is morally right. In other words, 
there's just certain things that everybody should do, right? Like telling the truth. Everybody should do that, right? You don't have to have a certain calling on your life to tell the truth. You know, you need to obey and honor your parents. I mean, people need to honor their parents. You don't have to have some special call or gifting to honor your parents. Everybody can and should do that, right? You know, giving your tithe, et cetera, et cetera. And this, I think is a good example of this in Ephesians 4. Verse 32, it says, and be kind to one another. Uh, everybody can and should be kind to other people. I mean, we're all always tempted to, to not to, but we should always be kind to others. He says, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Everybody can and should forgive. So if you're holding a grudge, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. Okay, that's, that's, that's all on you because God made you to forgive and you can. And he said, even as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, God already gave you the ability. He gave you a good example to follow. And he said, just do what, do what I do. And so in those ways, there's, there's a lot of things just in our lives that God wants to uh, unveil to us and help us to understand just to do things that are morally right, all right? And let's say it this way. Go ahead and say this. I can do everything I should do. I can do everything I should do. In other words, if you should do it, you can. God makes a way for us to be able to do all the things we should do. Because he's good. He made you able to do what you're supposed to do. You know, I got my iPhone here in my pocket, and every once in a while I make a phone call with it. Normally I just use it for other things. It shouldn't even really be called a phone anymore because we hardly use it for calls. But you know what? I've never been talking to somebody on the phone or my phone has rung, and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I've got an iPhone that can receive calls. Pastor Dave, have you... My, I, my iPhone can receive calls. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Yours still does. Why don't I ever do that? Because, duh, it's a phone. It was built, created to receive calls. The equipment is in the phone to give it the ability to send and receive calls, and we understand that's what it was made for. Well, it's the same way with us. You were made to hear and know and understand the voice of God, to be able to understand his will, and for you to go, whoa, I hear from God. Well, yeah, everybody is. And most of the world is just not paying attention. But God is speaking all the time to everybody. And God has made you to hear his voice. It's normal. Hearing the voice of God, doing the will of God is normal. That is normal. Not the new normal. That's normal. The new normal is not doing the will of God, which is not even normal, okay? It was built into you. You're created to do it. And then the third part of the w doing the will of God is what I would say is doing what is specific to your calling. In other words, it's, it's getting to know, just having a relationship with God, knowing him, speaking with him, hearing from him, enjoying his love, enjoying that relationship. The second part is doing what is morally right. And the third part is doing those things that are specific to your calling, and let's look at a scripture together in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So God is telling Jeremiah here, uh, you deciding or not deciding to be a prophet is not the deciding factor here. He said, I decided you should be a prophet and I 
built you in the womb of your mother. I've foreordained or predestined you to be one. In other words, God knew him before he was born, before he was formed in the womb. His destiny was a lot bigger than who his family was and who his mom was. God put him in there. And that's true of all of us. I already said God wants you and God has chosen you. And I like to say it this way. You exist because God wants you. And you exist right now because you have a purpose. All of us think, okay, well, my parents decided they were going to have a baby and that's why I'm here. No, that's not why you're here. Your parents worked together to create a body. God let that pregnancy continue and God put you inside that body. God chose that you would be on this earth right now because you have a purpose. Because there's something that God has created you specifically to do. And you are designed for your purpose. You're not a square peg trying to fill a round hole. You're a round peg for a round hole, square peg for a square hole, a triangle, a hexagon, whatever. God created you for a purpose. And then Jeremiah continues here in verse 6. He says, uh, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. In other words, God came to Jeremiah and said, hey, young man, I have made you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah was like, whoa, I'm too young for this whole prophet business. I don't know how to do this. I don't have the right equipment. And God said, you're exactly right. You don't have the right equipment. So here, and God touched him and gave him the equipment. And each of us come to that point in our lives where we feel like God's dealing with us about doing something. We're like, well, I don't know if I'm equipped to do that. But God is faithful and will equip us to do everything he's called us to do. Amen? And with Jeremiah, obviously this happened immediately. And with some of us, it might, it might take a week or he sends us to Bible school and it takes a couple years or whatever the case may be. But God is a good God who loves us and so he equips us and reveals to us his will and he equips us to be able to do that. So you can know and do the entire will of God for your life. You can know God personally. You can do the things that are morally right. And you can recognize exactly what God made you to do, what God put you on earth for, and you can do that. And somebody's like, well, God's never spoken to me in that way. Well, then evidently it didn't take that. Evidently God was able to communicate with you just by the peace in your heart, communicate through his word, and God's positioned you exactly where he wants you for this season of your life. And if God wants you to be somewhere else doing something else with someone else, he will be able to get your attention. Obviously, with Jeremiah, he did. With me, he did, and he called me into the ministry. But you know what? I've never heard God speak audibly. I've never had a vision where I saw Jesus, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and God's been able to use me anyway. All right? So I think if I can get that far with that kind of leading, you probably can too. Amen? And it's funny, as you look through the Bible, the people who have extraordinary experiences with God are usually the ones who have to go through a lot of hardship directly after that. So when I really got to realizing, okay, Joseph had two dreams, but then he got, his brothers wanted to kill him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He got thrown into prison, wrongly accused for rape, all that kind of thing. And then he got forgotten and left in jail for years. And then finally came into the destiny of God. And I'm like, okay, if that's the kind of hardship I have to go through in order to hear from God spectacularly, I'll just stick with the easy stuff. Is this God, just leave me by your peace. Give me what's in your word. It's good enough for me. Because if God starts giving you visions, trouble's coming, baby. All right? 
But see, we get this in our heads. God must love them more. They're important to God because they had a vision. No, they just, they got the equipment they needed for the hardship they have to deal with, for the trials in their life. And God is going to equip you to go through whatever he's needing to equip you for, whatever you're going to have to go through. God's going to prepare you because he loves you. And that's the whole point this morning is that you get that. Is that, wait a minute, God loves me? God really has a plan for my life? God really actually has something in mind for me. God wants to give me something. God wants to fill me so that I'm not living a life that's empty and a life that's frustrating, but I'm living a life that's full. God doesn't want me to be a religious, propped up, dead plant, but God wants me to actually thrive and bear fruit. Yes, exactly. And it's really cool because if we go to the end of Paul's prayer there in Ephesians 3, we can look at this together. This is a scripture that most Christians, when they read it, they underline the first verse right away. It says, Ephesians 3, verse 20, now to him. In other words, if the things that happen in the first part of this prayer happen, what's going to happen is this. This is the fruit of the prayer that he prayed, that we be rooted and grounded in love, that he, we be filled with all the fullness of God. It says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. And man, we read that and we're like exceedingly abundantly above. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds great. I'm going to underline it and highlight it and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to share it in my small group. Exceedingly abundantly above. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Yes, he is. And as he fills us because we embrace his love, then he starts to be able to do exceedingly abundantly above because the second half of the verse goes into effect, which is according to the power of that works in us. In other words, God's power is limited if we don't believe he loves us. If we're not confident that we can receive from him, then we'll live empty. And instead of God constantly performing and doing exceedingly abundantly above, he'll do what he can, but we're letting so little of his power work in us. And here's what I want you to get. If we are living a life insecure in our relationship with God, not confident in the fact that he loves me, then inevitably, inevitably what is going to happen is we're going to live a life where we limit God. And the sad part about that is what's in verse 21 is that he will not get the glory that he deserves. Because it says here, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, if Christians in every generation, young and old, will grasp the greatness of God's love for them and, and just embrace the fact that God loves me and receive God's love for me, receive everything God has for me, then in every generation, the name of Christ will be lifted up and exalted. God will be glorified. He'll draw people to himself. People will get born again. People will get discipled. People will get encouraged. People's families will get restored. Marys will be healed. Bodies will be healed. God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. But again, this goes back to what comes before, that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith, and that faith goes down deep into his love. And our faith is able to receive directly from the love of God. God loves you. Once you close your eyes for a minute, 
And I just want you to say that a few times to yourself. God, you love me. Just say it a few times. God, you love me. God, you love me. God, you love me. And as you're saying these things, maybe there's things in your heart that you recognize certain attitudes you've had towards God or certain things that, uh, where you've wandered off into sin because you have doubted the love of God for you and you've been convinced that God doesn't like you very much and so you've gone off pursuing other things thinking that you would gain something but you actually lost them. And, and I want you to encourage, right now, to encourage you right now just to repent of that sin and return to God with all your heart. Say, God, I'm sorry that I've doubted your love for me. Forgive me for doubting your love, forgiving me for turning against you, for living in sin. And get things right between you and him and embrace his love for you. Father, we embrace your love for us right now. We embrace the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. Father, we come clean with the things that we've been deceived and tricked into doing. And Father, we receive wholeness and restoration this morning. We receive your love. We embrace and receive your power today in Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and as you're saying this, God, you love me. You recognize there's things in your life that you've been tolerating. You've been dissatisfied. There's been problems that you haven't been praying about. There's been things you need that you haven't prayed for. Then I want to encourage you, pray for those things right now. Say, God, I thank you that you love me. And Father, I have not asked you for this. I have not asked you for this. I have not asked you for this. And I recognize that, that you've given it, you've provided it, and I just haven't received it. And so I come and I receive that right now in Jesus' name. I receive my healing. I receive the provision. I receive the promotion. Oh, thank you, Father. I receive that direction. I receive understanding. Thank you, Father God, for working in our marriage. Thank you, Father, for working in our family. Thank you for working in my workplace. Thank you, Father, that you provide me with wisdom in Jesus' name. And Father, we just receive right now what we need by faith. We thank you, Father, when we pray that we believe that we receive, then we'll have it. The only way that we can believe we receive is if we believe that you love us and that you've actually provided. And so we receive this morning in Jesus' name. And obviously the first part of this for you to begin a relationship with God is you have to take the first step with him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've heard all this before and you've maybe heard about Jesus, but you've never made that actual step to begin a relationship with him. And scripture says it's not enough just to believe in God. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. You have to make a decision for yourself and you have to, with your mouth, make Jesus the Lord of your life. And I'd like to lead us in a prayer this morning to, to let you be able to do that. And I'd like everybody to pray with me, even if you've done this before, as an encouragement for those who haven't. Let's pray together. Dear God, I come to you. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, and he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you raised him from the dead and that he is a living Savior. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for leading me and helping me to become what you've made me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Dave will be coming up in a minute and he can share more with you about what you can do regarding that decision you've made. And I want to encourage you guys this morning, the enemy is always going to continue doing what he's always done, which means he's always going to come back and try to convince us that God doesn't love us so that we won't receive what we need to receive. 
So it needs to be a constant effort in our lives to be aware of that fact that, hey, I'm starting to have some issues with doubting his love for me. I need to get back into the word. I need to start praying these prayers for me again. God, I pray that, that you'd fill my heart with, with, with an understanding of your love. Father, I want to embrace your love. Fill me with the knowledge of your will and take those scriptures, those prayers that we talked about today in Ephesians 1, Philipp, uh, Colossians 1, and pray them for yourself. Pray them every day. Pray them for your family. Pray them for your youth group. Pray them. You know, I know every time I start getting ready for, for any message or I start praying for any of our churches or, or anything, for you guys, for example, it's always the first thing I do is pray these scriptures. Pray these scriptures first. Pray these scriptures first. Because God gave us these as a tool. Amen? He revealed his heart to us so that we get the things that he wants us to get. We love you guys. Thanks again for your consistency, for your faithfulness, and being there for us to support us with your prayers and with your giving. And we're so thankful for you, for your pastors, for the family. And we'll see you next time. Blessings. Pastor Dave. Hallelujah. Whew. That was good, wasn't it? I don't know if you needed to hear that, but I sure did. Ministered life. You know, there's certain truths and principles in order for us to go beyond it. Uh, we've got to get a hold of those truths, and I think that's one of the most difficult truths oftentimes for us to get a hold of is that God loves me. It's like you said, we can always understand that God loves somebody else, but to realize that God actually loves me is so critical to walk in the fullness of what he has for us. It's really, it's really the beginning point. We can know all of the, the promises. We can know the graces that have been made available to us, but until we know that God loves me, uh, we're hindered. Well, we're going to take up an offering now to... Uh, Bless the Hershey's, and so if you need an envelope again, just raise your hand. The ushers will get an envelope to you. Uh, you know, in Philippians, Paul's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's talking about how because they met his needs, they were able to uh, meet the needs of those who had not heard. And so it's in our giving that we have the opportunity to support those that are willing to go out and give their lives to the preaching of the gospels the gospel and we have a opportunity to be a part of that um so if everybody has an envelope let's just ushers if you come forward let's just pray and let's receive the offering and so father we thank you for this couple we thank you for their family we thank you father that they're willing to to go that they're willing to serve. And Father, we thank you for their faithfulness that uh, I'm sure there's been times they've wanted to quit, but they have never done it. They've continued on. And so, Lord, we just thank you for them. We ask a blessing upon them. And then, Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we now have to invest in that ministry. And Father, we just pray that as we give, that it might be a blessing to them and to those in Germany that they might continue to grow and, and experience the love of God. So, Father, as we give, we give in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and let's receive the offering. So, uh, 
I've had this real spiritual time, but I'm going to uh, get carnal here just for a moment. Didn't you love that football game Friday night? <laughs> and uh, is Clint okay? Did he twist his ankle? And it's so. Uh, um, I, I thought our kids. I was just proud of them. They they did just such a good job and represented our community and our school so well. And uh, it was just a it was just a fun night and and so uh, praise the Lord. Is it carnal to get talk about football on Sunday morning? I don't think so. I think that's really spiritual. You know, because we got a lot of good good guys on that team and of course we've got great cheerleaders who didn't show up at church this morning. But uh Oh, they're in the nurseries, okay. They're all see they're 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 working hard. Praise the Lord. So uh praise God. Hallelujah. Everybody say, God loves me. God loves me. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? Why don't you just say it again? God loves me. Because it's we, we need to. We have to know that beyond anything else. The love of God. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Walk in love. Walk in peace. Give him the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. And remember, Wednesday evening our services begin.